BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So about two years ago, I stopped by a charity fundraiser event that I actually wasn't invited to. And let me set the scene for you. It was the end of 2015. It was actually a holiday party. I had just come back from my whirlwind, nearly two-year, 200,000-mile squash journey with a flattened backpack holding my life's belongings inside of it. And I was staying on my buddy Crosby's couch. And before the event got going, there was an open seat next to uh, a woman. I sat down, and, and this woman next to me started chatting. And she asked me what I was up to, what I was doing. And, you know, instead of saying what I probably should have said, which is, I need a job, and I'm interviewing right now, and this company and that company... I pulled out of my backpack all of this work that I'd been putting towards when to jump. And I told her I wanted to create this community and that it'd be a book, but hopefully a platform and this and that. And she kind of cut me off and she said, you should do something with video. And I said, listen, lady, you know, that's nice, but I'm running out of cash. I'm on my buddy's couch. I don't know how many more months Crosby's going to give me here. I'm eating eggs and I don't have the resources to do video. And she looked at me, she said, well, we can help with that. And it turns out that was Ariana Huffington that I was speaking to. And no, I didn't know it was Ariana, although the voice now is pretty distinct. I'm talking about my own big jump, leaving the Huffington Post to launch Thrive Global. And we are talking about why it's important to jump. We started a strategic partnership and launched a media channel and a video series that would reach millions of people and officially kickstart when to jump the brand, the community, the company. And over that time, I got to know Ariana pretty well. And she's exactly how she comes off in interviews. She's real and authentic and has a lot of ideas on really important issues that go well beyond business and life even. She talks about what it means to be human and our hopes and dreams and fears in a very vulnerable way. So I kept in touch with Ariana a little bit, but I was surprised like most other folks when Ariana decided to leave HuffPost and start Thrive Global. And what was so fascinating to me about hearing this jump is this was not something she needed to do. And if she wanted to participate in this world of wellness and health and well-being, Ariana could have just been an advisor or a chairman. She didn't have to jump. So my question was, why? And that's what made the conversation so interesting. Ariana was very honest with why she jumped, what it felt like, and how she's trying to make it forward in uncharted territory. And what was fascinating, in addition to that, was that Ariana thinks in a really, really big picture. We ended up talking about things like our legacy and the importance of making an impact as a person and and what the intersection between work and life should look like. And so I think you'll enjoy the episode. It certainly was unusual and, and an amazing turn of events from an already amazing situation and how I got to know Ariana. And uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Her name is literally synonymous with one of the most innovative news media platforms of the last two decades. She has long championed a, pun intended, sleepy subject around personal wellness and health. 
She's an icon in media and in entrepreneurship, but behind all of this, Ariana Huffington is a jumper with an honest story of how she's jumped, why she's jumped, and why it's important for all of us to live a fulfilling life. She's recently started a new company, Thrive Global, and we are here sitting in Thrive's offices in Soho in New York City, talking about what it means to jump and what others can do, as well as all of us listening, to make jumps in our own lives. Ariana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here to talk about such an important subject, and congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you so much. So let's rewind a bit. Let's go at the very beginning. Your family's from Greece. You were immigrants to America. What was that like growing up? So I was very blessed to have an amazing mother. So even though we grew up without any money, living in a one-bedroom apartment, she always made us feel that we were bigger than our circumstances and that we could follow our dreams. So in that sense, when I saw a picture in a magazine of Cambridge, and for some reason I thought, oh my God, that's where I want to go to college, Everybody around me said, don't be ridiculous, you know, we have no money, you don't speak English, <laughs> and, and it's hard even for English girls to get into Cambridge. My mother said, mm, let's find out how you can get into Cambridge. And she literally sort of researched it, found out I could take my uh, general certificates of education, as they call them, from the British Council in Athens. I started learning English. Uh, she borrowed, she always was a big borrower, you know, to fulfill your dreams. And um, to cut a long story short, I ended up going to Cambridge. But it could never have happened without really having someone there to champion what became my first job. <laughs> wow. And so you're at Cambridge. Was that where you were interested in media? How did that kind of come into your life? Or was that afterwards? No, at Cambridge, I was very interested in politics. Um, in leadership. Um, my first book was a, a book on the changing role of women. My second book was a book on leadership. Uh, then I wrote biographies. So a large part of my career was that of a writer, you know, writing on different subjects that interested me, um, whether it was politics or a biography of Pablo Picasso or a book on spirituality. Um, and then it was really in the early 2000s when I saw what was happening in the world of media, I saw the conversation moving online and uh, and yet a lot of great voices were not online you know, the, because they didn't have their own blogs and they, and they felt kind of um, alienated from that new world so I wanted to create a site where I would bring together some of the most interesting voices of our time, whether well-known or not, and also where we could practice traditional journalism. And that's how the Huffington Post was born in 2005. And, you know, we can get to what ultimately became the Huffington Post, which was just an incredible kind of conglomerate and platform that gave voices to so many different issues that are important. But in 2005... I mean, a lot of people can gloss over this, but that wasn't necessarily an intuitive thing to do, right? Like, that's a jump in itself, is to say, I'm going to use technology to, to share about issues that matter. What was that like? Well, at the time, there were a lot of naysayers. I mean, I remember one of the reviews, one of the first reviews said, the Huffington Post is an unsurvivable failure. <laughs> unsurvivable? <laughs> it's the movie equivalent of Gili, Ishtar, and Heaven's Gate, all rolled into one. For those of you who are not movie buffs, these were all major flops. 
And uh, so that's when I think if you've taken a jump, you need to make sure that you um, you stay the course, in, no matter how many voices of criticism or, um, or doubt. And um, I stayed the course, and a year later, actually, the, the woman who had written that review emailed me and said, you know, I was wrong, and... Half post has become an indispensable part of the internet, and I'd like to write for you. <laughs> and uh, and wow. I said, great, because also I don't believe in holding grudges. I think that holding grudges is one of the most debilitating and draining things we can do. Yeah, and when you say stay the course, how did you do it? What were the what were the hardest parts to stay on it, and where'd you go to to get through? Well, for me the. The hardest part was uh, deciding what to focus on. When we're growing, you know, part of growing is deciding what are your priorities. And for me, it was clear that increasingly the priorities became global expansion, launching in many countries around the world. By the time I left the Huffington Post last year, you know, half of our traffic was coming from outside the U.S., and uh, video, you know, we see, we, we're seeing how more and more content was consumed uh, on video, and we wanted to be there. And, you know, when you say you don't hold grudges, is that because of why? Do you feel that things I, will work I feel, out? Well, mostly because I feel it's just about the worst way to live. Um, as someone said, uh, grudges, resentments are like a poison you drink thinking the other person is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, really, uh, it really makes it harder for you to live in the moment. And I think it's from the present where anything good is done. Yeah. Which I think is incredible if you look at the, this, the chances you've taken, the, the shots and goal you've made, you know, starting a technology platform when it wasn't necessarily obvious, pushing through when it wasn't necessarily obvious that it would work. Um, and now, as we kind of think about what you're doing now and going on to the personal side, you know, why, do you, why do you take on these issues that are either overlooked or not necessarily the sexiest things to talk about, but are really important? What, what drives you even today to talk about health and wellness and getting sleep. You know, that's, that's just not something a lot of people think about having a discourse on. Why that? Well, actually, something is happening in the zeitgeist. And I, I love trying to see always what's in the zeitgeist. Where is the world going? And, um, and what is a great need that we are not addressing? And... Um, I believe right now that a great need we're not addressing is people's delusion that in order to succeed, they have to be always on. And uh, all the new science tells us categorically this is not true, that we're actually more effective, more productive, more successful when we take care of ourselves. Sleep is one thing, you know, meditation, pauses during the day, working out, uh, good food, you know, there's a a multitude of things that go into a healthy life and the connection between that and being able to be operating on all cylinders, to be most effective, um, is so clear that on our media platform we, um, we have all the latest role models, you know, people who 
um, are in the arena, who are very successful, who are writing or doing videos about how they, by prioritizing their own well-being, they, their decision-making is better. Uh, we had um, Jeff Bezos, for example, write a piece, and the headline was, Why My Getting Eight-Hour Sleep is Good for Amazon Shareholders. Wow. Eric Schmidt write about how sleep deprivation in his life leads to quantum chaos. These are kind of new role models in the same way that um, celebrities or influencers who write about a digital detox, taking time away from their phones, um, are a new role model. So for me, the big jump of leaving the Huffington Post to launch Thrive Global um, was because I felt this was a very important need. It was not being properly addressed. And uh, for me, it was really about disrupting the way we work and live so that we can work and live in a way which more sustainable, healthier, and happier. Wow. And even so, leaving the Huffington Post in 2016, having built it to this, I mean, it was literally tied to your name. It was the Huffington Post. It still is the Huffington Post. What did that feel like? And how did you know this jump was worth doing? As as worthy of a cause as Thrive Global would become, did you feel at all like, geez, you know, I don't need to put myself out again. I've, I've made it. I can kind of set sail into the sunset. And what made you jump anyway? So it was a very hard decision. No question about it. Uh, what made it really hard is that the Huffington Post was like a third child to me. Yeah. You know, I have two daughters, as you know, and half post. <laughs> and uh, so it was, I, there were many days as I was struggling with a decision when it felt like I would be abandoning my child. And what in the end made me jump um, was the fact that I um, felt that, I felt called, I felt such a sense of calling to do this. I, I, I saw so many people suffering from this delusion um, that uh, they had to be always on to succeed and sacrifice their own well-being. And I knew there was a better way, and I wanted to sort of put all my energy into convincing the world uh, and showing them how to change their behavior in small ways with micro steps, so developing all this IP that we've developed around a behavior change tech platform, micro steps for change. It was to me incredibly exciting. And I felt that HuffPost was in a place where uh, with a great new editor as we have in Lydia Baldwin um, and our great team, it could continue being very successful and I could only make an incremental difference. But by launching something completely new and building it into a global company, I could make a really big difference. And I think that's a really interesting point is that you jumped 12 years ago to start Huffington Post and now you can jump again. Dreams change, right? Things, your oh, priorities change. Right? Absolutely. You can have multiple jumps in life. And uh, I think sometimes success becomes a trap. Huh. Because, um, you know, there you are, you know, the Huffington Post was a big global company, and, and I was um, leaving it to go to a startup. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I think that sometimes stops people from taking the jump. 
because they're giving up something which is already working and which as you said has their name sometimes <laughs> uh, but in the end as a friend told me you know take a deep breath and jump you know it's you can't figure it all out in advance you just have to follow your heart at some point and take that jump yeah and you know when you know <laughs> that it was the right thing because the, given how agonizing the decision was the morning after the decision it seemed so inevitable yeah it seemed like what was i thinking <laughs> of course i'm leaving the abington post and launching thrive global this is so obvious it's that type of yeah that contentment almost yes, that, you yeah think this is it, it i've is. landed in the right place yeah well you it you, doesn't mean yeah. there aren't challenges right. it doesn't mean you know you're not dealing with problems anytime you are building something from scratch there are challenges and problems right um but I felt we had the wind on our back because we're tapping into something that people needed. For me, it's that unknown that keeps people from jumping because like you said, success is a trap in the sense that you know everything you're giving up when you leave a huff post or an accounting job or being an electrician, you know your benefits, your salary, all of that. But if you're going to start a bakery or a media company or become um, a musician, you don't know what that looks like till you actually jump. And it becomes this paralysis. Do you, what do you say to people that are on that kind of last bit, this, this, okay, I'm doing it, but that unknown is just, you know, I don't, I'm scared by it. How do, you, how do you push through that threshold? I think in life, ultimately, um, very little is entirely certain except that we're going to die <laughs> you know, <laughs> and as, pay taxes <laughs> and pay taxes uh, you know as, um, as the Onion headline put it you know death rate holds steady at 100% <laughs> uh, but beyond that you know we know every day how many sudden unexpected things happen to our friends or our family or ourselves you know the, the um, waking up to a um, an email as I did this morning that the mother of a good friend of my daughter's just died yesterday, or um, that um, the brother of another friend um, committed suicide. I don't want just to talk about the dark things, but uh, there are a lot of unexpected things that happen. So I feel that if we try to sort of predict everything, and uh, have a sort of five-year plan, uh, we're going to miss out some of the best things. And also, we don't know what's around the corner. We literally don't. And that's why my mother always used to say, don't miss the moment. Yeah. You know, that ultimately is all we have for sure. And uh, when we approach life from that angle, rather than from um, needing absolute security, then we take more risks and... Um, and, and, we, and we are more likely to fulfill our dreams. And not to stay on that subject of death, but if you do zoom out and you think of how little time we actually have, right, and how long world history has been and this and that, uh, you know, I don't know if you know my friend Merle, but she, this woman who's actually also featured in the book talks a lot about the classes she teaches on your legacy, and she calls them living and leaving your legacy. 
And in them, one of the metaphors she uses is the ripple you make in your life and the way that the ripple will affect other people and generations of other people that in ways you just don't know. How do you, Ariana Huffington, as you think of the ripple you're making and the legacy you want to leave, what matters most? What would you want that ripple to look like and an impact be? First of all, I love what um, your friend Merle is doing. I, um, I love this whole concept of uh, living your life thinking of your eulogy and not just of your resume <laughs> and your LinkedIn profile. Um, I personally have zero interest in a legacy. Uh, I basically believe that, uh, that we have an immortal soul and so something survives our death obviously not our personality and our physical body but our essence and so I feel that um, therefore that I'm not so interested in <laughs> in um, my legacy in this world uh, but more in my having worked enough on on my own personal growth and and being more connected with my own essence before I die and are you getting closer to that? Well, I'm definitely um, working on it. I, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, but, um, you know, Socrates said, um, know thyself. And I think um, knowing yourself and um, working on, on yourself is absolutely key. And, and so is... Uh, um, just kind of recognizing that we do have a center of strength and wisdom and peace in us and and um, trying to spend more and more time there is just a great uh, goal of life at the same time that I'm building a business and sure. trying to make a change in the world. I think that personal journey is also very important. Yeah. And it seems like with some of the content and messaging on Thrive, you're showing people there are little things you can do every day, even down to just plugging your phone or putting it away in a different room, taking 20 minutes, writing down three things. Like there's all these things you can do exactly, to get that, right? to get closer to that place. And, and for me, that's really the, the key in life, to recognize that that place exists, that we're not just a series of biological algorithms. And, and if we recognize that, then, then giving ourselves some time to really connect that, connect with that, and um, and uh, realize it's kind of the eye in the hurricane. So no matter what happens, we have that place to retreat to and gain strength from. It's just such a powerful message, and um, I feel our culture is making it harder for people to connect with that part. Yeah. You know, as a Buddhist monk put it, you know, it's never been easier to it's to get away from ourselves yeah, it's just never have, been yeah. um, you know harder to connect with ourselves and part of it is our addiction to our devices which is a big theme at Thrive you know we um, are working with Tristan Harris you know the Google ethicist who has shown very clearly you know the addictive nature of uh, our devices and social media and how can we create boundaries this is un this is not anti-tech this is like tech for good this is tech for humanity yeah, exactly and just to wrap up you, you are fortunate um 
to to have influence in a lot of different ways and to use it for good. It seems like in a lot of different ways, uh, being. Um, involved in being on the board at Uber, do you feel like you're setting an example for women and generations forward, whether they're at the board level or even at the just corporate or employee level, that they can they can have a voice, that they can share their voice, that they can be a leader just as you're being? Well, absolutely. I mean, when, um, when Susan Fowler's blog post came out about um, sexual harassment and uh, cultural problems at Uber, I was the only woman on the board. So I felt I had a responsibility to step in, listen to employees' concerns, hold management accountable, and oversee an internal investigation that we did with Eric Holder. And uh, and I felt that um, it was really important, both in order to fix the culture at Uber, but also in order to um, to show companies uh, all around the valley as well as around the world, frankly, that uh, when these things are ignored, when uh, um, cultural issues within the company, uh, proper processes and structures and, and ways for employees to raise concerns are ignored, um, that has a big impact on the business as well. So these are not nice-to-haves. These are like core priorities for a business now. And um, I think what happened at Uber made that abundantly clear. And that's why I'm delighted now that um, the company is on the road to having all these structures and uh, processes and management trainings and all these things that seem cumbersome sometimes to a hyper-growth company but are absolutely essential to a company, especially as it matures. Definitely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are, and we're in the middle of, literally in the middle of this startup as it grows. Ariana Huffington, thank you for joining me on the When to Jump podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for what you're doing. It is incredibly important that you are here to to help, and now it's going to be millions of people jump. <laughs> thank you. Do you want to get more involved in the When to Jump community? Visit whentojump.com for more inspiring stories, content, and ideas all around when to chase a passion. Plus, you'll have the chance to sign up for our newsletter, stay updated on upcoming events, or even learn more about our Jump Ambassador program, which launches in January 2018. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at whentojump, and tweet or comment to us to let us know what your thoughts are on this week's conversation with Ariana Huffington. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.